Texas talking oh. What was that that you said Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys Hi, this is Corinne Fayton. I am the Chancellor and President of Texas Women's University, the largest institution primarily for women in the nation, and we are undefeated in football. So when I was asked to give this welcome, I thought I just couldn't add one more thing to my schedule today. But then I remembered the admonition that I have given many times to other women, and that is, if you're not at the table, you are probably on the menu. So I thought I'd better be at the table. And now, here is your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the second week of November. I'm joined by CEO and Editor-in-Chief Evan Smith. It, he's Snapchatting this Tribcast already. It's I, so annoying. By the time people hear you say that, the Snapchat picture will be gone. You freaking millennials with having to document everything for for posterity. To be honest, I don't actually think I I don't think Todd is a millennial either. Are you are you to a be frank? He's not allowed to speak because he doesn't have a microphone. Carlton the Moving doorman on. over here. He's not allowed. <laughs> Joke that no millennials even have mine. Executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy, not a millennial. <laughs> not a Snapchatter either, or are you? I am a Snapchatter, but oh. I'm not a millennial. And I have to talk to my daughter. Patrick Svitek, Hello. who millennial. is a millennial. Millennial, I think so. Generation B or whatever the hell you are. Not, you, I mean, this you're literally a millennial. This is, you fit I think in I am the, a millennial, yeah. Well, he's like 22. You don't yeah. seem like a 23. millennial. You he, seem like a grown-up. He's a millennial and an old person. What they body. say about Al Gore, right? An old person's <laughs> idea of a young person. That's what you are. Thank All you. right. <laughs> yes. Now that we have fully defined millennials Could on say the worse, Tribcast, actually. let's start off with a uh, recap of Tuesday night's GOP presidential debate. Sucked. <laughs> what, you think it was better or worse than the CNBC debate? I think I'm in I, – I can't believe I'm saying this, but I miss John Harwood. I, I oh, think – I thought the Fox questioners did a much better job. Oh, yeah, fine, but I thought the debate sucked. Because there was no drama? It was so No drama? Boring. I don't think anybody came into the debate not knowing who they were supporting and came out of it all of a sudden having decided. I don't think it changed anything. At all. Yeah. Well, do any of these debates really change anything? Uh, the only yes. thing – I feel like the only thing that changes is who's at the table and who's not at the table. And who's pissed off about not having and enough who's time pissed to off talk? About, right, exactly. Right, John Kasich is Jim Webb. Mm. Well, let's uh, let's talk about Ted Cruz, who's the uh, who's the remaining Texan in this race. Uh, he's managed to keep a relatively low profile. She just wrote off Jeb Bush, didn't she? And Carly Fiorina. And Rand Paul. And Rand Paul. You guys. These folks are not real Texans. <laughs> oh, like you, Pittsburgh? Texas, I'm not Texas, Texas high schools, also, Texas colleges. I'm not from Pittsburgh. I don't know I where know. you come this up with this. This is a recurring joke. It's Ran, a recurring. Fun fact: Grandpa was born in Pittsburgh. This is Janison County, right? There it's a recurring yourself. joke. Right. All right. A recurring joke that no one gets but you. Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, of the <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, how did Cruz, you know, Cruz has kept a low profile in past debates. What There was some sort of speculation that maybe he would step out in this particular one. What kind of role did he play? Did anything I change? I think he stepped out in his own his own unique way. Um, I mean, the context for this debate was he was coming off the last one where he had that, that breakout moment where he chastised the, the moderators for their unfair questioning and um, got a lot of momentum out of that. God. <laughs> After the uh, media. He's like the Carmen Miranda of low-hanging fruit, though, honestly. I mean, no, boy, attacking yeah. the media. There's a real strategy. Yeah, well, he really seized it. Yeah, he seized the political moment there. It was pretty low-hanging fruit, like you said, but he, it he did it. And it worked. And uh, in the two or three weeks since that past debate, there's just been increasing speculation. It seems that he's going to be one of these last men standing, probably along with Marco, Marco Rubio. Rubio. Um, and I think what you saw in the debate 
last night, uh, Tuesday night, um, was kind of more contrast being drawn between him and Rubio. Um, Cruz has really leaned into this idea that he is going to be one of the last men standing with Marco Rubio. He's called it a plausible outcome. He's, you know, openly speculated about the potential for it. Rubio hasn't been as kind of uh, open about it. But I think you know, not to get too in depth this, but Cruz has really leaned into yeah, it yes. because <laughs> we wouldn't want to get in depth. We only have thirty minutes, Patrick. It's a perfect format. Fly but above the, the reason I think God Cruz has leaned into this <laughs> is because it really fits Cruz's theory of the race, which is that it's going to come down to a you know a grassroots conservative. Obviously, Cruz thinks he's that guy, and then a moderate, you know, squishy Republican, and he is increasingly trying to position Rubio as that. Now, whether that's true, you know. In practice, that Rubio fits that label is, is kind of up for he's debate. Trying to, he's trying to compliment Rubio into a bad position. Exactly. I think he's exactly. a very good establishment Republican mm-hmm. candidate. You know, it's yeah. the whole right. bit. And, and it's, it's also because it's easier for Cruz to imagine a showdown at the end between him and a moderate versus him and a Carson or a Trump. But mm-hmm. still let's, let's, let's acknowledge this. that the definition of the center has baseline shifted a few clicks to the well, right. Absolutely. Marco Rubio is a, is a moderate, mm-hmm. like I'm an old lady. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, yeah. maybe I may be more of an old lady than he is more <laughs> of a moderate. I was going to say, that's sounding mm-hmm. really accurate. L- l- listen. The idea that somehow Marco Rubio is the establishment yeah. candidate or Marco Rubio is a moderate is all kinds of bullshit but but this election is not every election and the politics of this 2016 uh, race are not politics that any of us recognize but Rubio's I'm not sorry. Rubio's not a product like Cruz is of the insurgent Republican thing that started Correct. in 2009 well, and continued on. through he 10 and 12. He was the Tea Party Speaker was, of the Florida House. He, when he was elected, he was elected in that elected, Senate race, the whole thing was Tea Party, Tea Party, Tea Party, Tea Party. When did he all of a sudden he, he moved into it? He was also an elected official before that. And, and, and he's not emblematic of it anymore. Right. He's not Nelson Rockefeller. He's not Lowell Weicker. He's not even a recognizable center-right Republican. He is a conservative. So the idea that somehow in this race, the lanes have been defined in such a way that Marco Rubio is a moderate, preposterous. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a very self-serving label on Cruz's part. I mean, in some ways, you almost if you're Cruz, you kind of almost wish that Jeb Bush were still a, a strong, viable candidate in the moderate lane. Right. Um, because that would be a much sharper contrast. Now, there's, now there's a contrast. Well, and I think that was probably yeah. his original oh, yeah, predicate. Absolutely. You know, everybody at the yeah. beginning of this race thought it's going to be Jeb Bush and some other guy. Cruz, right. Cruz has really. I, I think if you step back, last night was a perfect example of this. I saw all this press about how Cruz was all that in a bag of chips. You know, he's so great. Cruz won the debate. I frankly did not think that Cruz won the debate. I didn't think Cruz did great. I didn't think Rubio did great. Even give Cruz the Rick Perry pass on the oops. Yeah, I do want to mention that. I mean, is he not going to get any? He's going to get nothing for it. I don't no flack for this. For no, no. He, he goofed much better than Perry did. The brushback pitch that he threw uh, under the chin of the press corps in the last debate ensures that the press not going to beat up on, uh, on him on this. For missing the fifth agency. Because the, the, the whole grassroots was going to go, oh, come on. You guys are just doing it again. You're looking to pick on our yeah, guys. Yeah. Look, look. And this, by the way, is the election cycle of shit that people say does not take them down the way that it would have taken oh, them yeah, down absolutely. in the previous election. Oh, right. Yeah, Look yeah. at Ben Carson. Right. I want to acknowledge that I think Cruz has bent the entire race toward him. This is an amazing feat he's pulled off. The, the whole uh, uh, orbit of this race has kind of gravitated to, to him. 
Uh, it's all bent in his direction. He is defining, in a lot of respects, the terms of this race and how this race is being discussed out in the world. And what's most amazing about it is that this was his plan. I mean, this has right. been his strategy, and it's working. You know, you heard that them talk about— sm- He is a smart yeah, son whatever bitch. else— I absolutely agree with you. He is. Ab- he is. He absolutely is. And I think we have to acknowledge whether he wins or loses, whether people like him or hate him, he has been a defining force in this race. He really has been. And God, four years ago, he couldn't draw more than two people in a crowd, right? He was completely—what he has done is amazing, I think. Like him or hate him. Yeah, Huckabee and Santorum being at the um, the kids' table, is that a good move for Cruz? I mean, is he sort of being able to really maintain the sort of evangelical base because he doesn't have to compete with those guys? I think the idea that he's at this point competing for evangelical support with a Huckabee or a Santorum is probably it's, a little overblown. I think mm-hmm. you know, in that lane, right. if you want to call it a lane, it's Ben Carson. I think they don't have they don't Iowa. have any heat mm-hmm. behind. Yeah, him. it is Ben Carson. And actually, one of the interesting takeaways from last night is his big differentiation from the non-politicians at the top was on immigration with Trump, mm-hmm. not on any of the evangelical stuff with Carson. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. like not figured out how to deal with Carson yet. And I actually think somebody said to me on the way over here today, well, uh, uh, thank God that the the debate did not suck. Thank God that the debate proved finally how little Donald Trump knows. And I thought, honestly, Uh, my takeaway was that the debate proved what Ben Carson doesn't know. Ben Carson seemed to me to be not in possession of facts or specifics last night. And to back up for a minute, I think the the one uh, gaffe that is going to jump out from last night is Trump stepping on Fiorina again. Um, Why does she keep interrupting people? the whole audience moaned at that. It was clear that, you know, a lot of these kinds of gaffes, you're right, the the core audience for these guys says, oh, that's just the media attacking. But the core audience booed Trump for this and booed him for the previous one about, have you seen that face, that whole bit that he did. I think um, throughout these debates, no one has been rewarded for going out of their way to criticize another candidate. I thought – I thought – that fa- nobody wants to see that face or whatever he said yeah. was completely inappropriate that and sexist terrible. and terrible. I got to tell you, I don't know that he was wrong about her last night. And honestly, well, if he didn't been, say it about Casey. If it had been about said about about if it had been said about a man, if it had been said about a man that he's interrupting, nobody would be complaining. He didn't say it about Casey. He chose to say it about Fiorina. And, you know, she she was interrupting everybody. It was sexist. The way it came off was sexist. They all interrupted each other. And she was interrupting everybody. Well, yeah, but who wasn't? Well, I know, but look, look, Donald Donald Trump is not the subtlest crown in the box. And he does not care about niceties or correctness, whatever else. Fine. But you can also say that, that Fiorina was super aggressive last night in swerving into other people's lanes at, at a moment when they were talking. And, and others were as well, absolutely. And and by the way, he did uh, kind of swat at Kasich like a fly last night. He did. He did. Yeah, he yeah. Did. That was one of the more It's not as if exchanges. she was the only one he attacked. What's that line about uh, what does a woman have to do to have her voice heard? <laughs> oh, Mayor, Mayor Van Der Butte. <laughs> Who said that? Who said that? Yeah. <laughs> right. How'd that work out? Uh, so how did Jeb Bush, another candidate with deep Texas ties, uh, I'll give, I'll concede that he has Texas ties, uh, do, and, you know, there's been some news around him this week, uh, obviously, in his sort of list of big-name like Texas supporters. He looks like he's been made to run. I mean, he just doesn't look like he's enjoying this kind of battle and, in, you know, isn't kind of engaged in, in, in the way that you would expect somebody in a debate to kind of lean into it and, you know, I love this kind of fight. Instead, he's sort of the, I can't, you know, it's the, 
uh, there was a joke on Saturday Night Live when his father was running against Dukakis, um, where the uh, Dukakis looks up and says, I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. Um, Bush seems to have that idea about everybody else. I can't believe I'm having to debate with these yeah, guys. Do you think he's sort of over it? Like he just is stunned that this is what how his fortunes have turned out? Well, I think he put in an adequate enough performance last night to at least quiet some of this speculation that he's you know in a death spiral. He's running in the adequate lane. That's that's the conventional wisdom, is that he stopped the bleeding. Here's my response to that: a tourniquet is not a clot. Mm -hmm. Tell me exactly how he stopped the bleeding. He he is well beyond the point of a Band-Aid is going to fix everything. Oh, he needs what more he than need, just What he needed last yeah. night was some kind of a breakout where he showed a sign of life. I mean, the whole Donald Trump says Jeb Bush's low energy thing has been worked to a fairly well. But the reason that it's actually stuck is that there's a germ of truth to it, at least in the way that Bush has been campaigning in this entire election. I did not see last night anything that Jeb Bush did that tells me he had zero. Let's just assume this. I'm not sure that I agree with this exactly, but just go along with it. He had 0% chance of being the nominee going in. He comes out of it with no greater percent chance of being the nominee than he did going in. The performance yeah. last night was no no way transformational for Jeb Bush's chances. Yeah, well, it goes back to the conventional wisdom. If nothing changed last night, then that's then nothing bad changed. for Jeb Bush right. because then nothing things changed. are bad for I mean, going think, to it. Think about what would have to happen yeah. between now and and the primary process for Jeb Bush to be the nominee. Well, think about is, what would have to happen. This is why I'm wondering if the reason that he his campaign released this big, you know, enormous list of Texas supporters – this week, has he sort of? Do you think he's given up on Iowa and New Hampshire? Do you just think they're a lost cause? No, I think it may be ex- the other way around. I mean, I think he's going all in in New Hampshire now, um, with putting, you know, still focusing on Iowa. Uh, there was a story this morning or yesterday in the Atlanta Journal Constitution, I believe, uh, that was. <laughs> That's Patrick's tenth read of the day. Right. <laughs> Let's acknowledge you know, tenth paper. You um, that, that suggested that he was kind of pulling back in the SEC primary states. I think he wasn't able to field a full slate of delegates in Alabama. That's obviously one, just one test of organizational strength. Um, but there is a piece speculating about that. And I think that, um, you know, he's going to be focusing more time on New Hampshire. And he's going to become someone who's, you know, is going to make New Hampshire critical. So what was the point of the timing of this Texas list? He could have just released, instead of that long list of endorsers, he could have just released that uh, Twitter shrug, you know, that symbol on Twitter. Because basically anybody who is endorsing Jeb Bush in Texas right now has to be going, "Uh." eh. Also, you already knew most of them. There were really no surprises to me on that list. The only... the only name that maybe stood out was uh, Pickens in that he had uh, – T. Boone. Yeah, T. Boone had previously speculated that he maybe start giving money to Ben Carson um, and that he – I think he hosted a fundraiser for Carly uh, Fiorina. Fiorina. Exactly, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and he, he may still be doing that, but, I mean, the fact they got his name on there and solidified that maybe says that he's back in their camp 100%. Mm-hmm. But that's the only – that was the only intrigue on the list to me. I, I think you released that list on debate day hoping that your candidate does well in the debate and it's not just one thing, it's two things. Right. And, you know, just today, a bunch of Texans endorsed him. And then he had a great showing in the debate, showing momentum going into wherever he's going into. But and, who outside of Texas cares about the Texans on that list? Well, it doesn't work except to the extent that, you know, people on some level, on the organizational level, are watching the finance primaries. Right. And, Don't, you know, a list of donors begets other donors in theory if they right. go, oh, well, if Boone Pickens and Pat Oxford and Pat Oles and this person and that person are supporting. Right. I think they're all on that list, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If they, you know, if 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 uh, if they're supporting uh, him, well, then it's cool for me to support him. Those I kind. It's like an Amazon. If you like this, you like that kind of recommendation. There's also mm-hmm. there's right. also outside of Texas. There's also the wait a minute. He's getting all that support in Cruz's state. 
It's like Chris coming out with a Florida list, which mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll do at some point or has done, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the Jeb Bush list was strong. There were no surprises. There, I think I counted 256 names on there. That includes some spouses of, of prominent people. Um, but, you know, I think it, and it does solidify the idea if you look at, you know, the elected officials' support that he has, that he is most closely competing with Cruz. So we know he's going to get 256 support. votes in Texas at least. I'm just not, not <laughs> yeah. sure he's going to get exactly. 257. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. I mean, honestly, you look at this field and you go, "How? Do, where is his lane? What's his lane? That is a great transition to the next topic I want to talk about, which is uh, horse racing. Accidental, surely. Right. <laughs> Speaking of Joe Strauss. Speaking of lanes, the Texas Racing Commission has been in the headlines in a big way in recent weeks over um, historical racing, which is basically betting on uh, pa- past races with the idea being you didn't know what the outcome was in the first place. Well, they strip all the descriptive information off. So you don't know the name of the horse. You don't know the name of the jockey. You don't know where it was run. You can't really look it up. Oh, this was West Virginia in 1989. And they run the race. And some of the machines that run these resemble slot machines. Not all of them, but some of them resemble slot machines. And and historical racing has been a boon to some tracks and you know where it's been allowed in other states. This sort of dying industry. So the industry really wants it because the industry is kind of sucking air in Texas, the horse racing industry, partly because other states around us not only have horse racing but also casinos and slot machines and and all of that. And so Texas gamblers tend to go elsewhere. And so they tried to get the Racing Commission interested in historical racing, and the Racing Commission responded by writing rules that – Uh, If you had historical racing in Texas, here's how it would work. The legislature was so unalarmed by this that they never even filed. They didn't do anything. They didn't file any (laughs) bills. They didn't even. It's not that they didn't pass a bill. They didn't even file one. Uh, After the Racing Commission did this in August of 2014, it immediately went to court. Um, The court said, "You can't do this. That's on appeal." And you can't do it because it's basically legalized gambling. Yeah, it's a different form of gambling than the Texas Constitution allows. The legislature intervened in this finally at the very end of the session, sticking a line in the budget that said the Racing Commission can't spend any of its appropriated money running the Railroad Commission without the permission of the LBB. This is a small group of 10 legislators headed uh, by the Speaker and the Lieutenant Governor. Speaker Joe Strauss's family is involved in horse racing. He recused himself in riding at the beginning of every session. So he's out of this. So uh, Patrick doesn't want historical racing. Jane Nelson, the Senate finance chairman, doesn't want historical racing. And they told the Racing Commission, if you don't get rid of these rules, we're not going to fund your agency. And the way state law works is if you don't fund the agency, the tracks can't run. So that's how you start the beginning of the fiscal year. Uh, The Racing Commission closed down for one day. The LBB said, okay, we'll leave you open for 90 days, and you can just think about your rules. Right. Revisit your rules. You know, you just go to your room and think about this for a while. (laughs) And uh, that timer ends November 30th, and the LBB just came back last week and said, we'll give you another 90 days. So is the Racing Commission, like, you know, asking the LBB basically to call its bluff? I mean, uh, well, yeah, the Racing Commission, you know, declined to change its rules. Now, there were three members of the Racing Commission whose terms had expired, and they served until the governor appointed somebody. Well, he appointed three members last week, including including reappointment of one who had voted for the rules basically against in defiance of the LBB. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an interesting thing. The question is whether the commission will change its rules, whether the court will come in with, you know, its um, 
verdict before this all comes to a head or whether we go to this Perils of Pauline episode again at the end of February. Fascinating. I mean, and so are the people that Abbott is appointing necessary? Do we know where Abbott comes down on this? Because there's been another. Well, a- Abbott just made noise at the lottery, the lottery commission. commission. Did he not right. about gambling. Right. There's, so there's right. A, right, a different uh, play going on right now, and that's that the lottery commission, uh, our former colleague Brandy Grissom reported that the lottery commission was basically sort of you know playing footsie with some ideas around around sports gambling. Well, right? they did some they did some visiting. They they went and visited Delaware. They had plans to visit another state where uh, sports gambling and Fantasy sports gambling and some other games are FanDuel. Uh, God, yeah. I'm tired of watching those ads. Don't worry; it seems like every yeah, state's like, going to yeah. decide. Yeah. That they're it looks like have New York go just away. got out of them. Right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the lottery was looking at these things, and and Abbott basically sent him a letter that said, you know, you shouldn't even be looking. Don't you even think about it. There's right. a long tradition of the more religious members of our communities having a problem on. Um, with everything but bingo. Moral, moral grounds with yeah, a lot the, with a lot of gambling. Baptist Baptists don't yeah. like right. Um, I can't believe that we're going to get into the gambling business any more than we've been. The only the, times the mood of this state at the at the moment, <clears throat> the only know, times God and governing meet God and gambling. The only times Texas has <laughs> right. done gambling was when it was out of money, and it was the only, it was um, less unpreferable than taxes. So that's how we got the lottery. That's how we got horse racing. Um, that's how we got bingo. We're probably going to have legalized pot in Texas before we have legalized gambling. You know, all the polling that we've done on gambling, you know, from time to time has been, you know, Texans are generally in favor of expanding it. Um, I'd like to see David but, Simpson write a piece for Trip Talk, but, the Christian case for gambling. But if you, but I'm if not you, sure there is one I'm not there. sure there is. Well, there's, a, there, there's, yeah. there's, there's, some, there's some bingo going on in some Catholic basements, I think. You know, the, you know in some, it depends on which religion you're talking about. Um, the... Polling generally says Texans generally favor more gambling, but if you poll just Republican primary voters, no, no, no. And that's where our legislature's opinion is coming from. I mean, so what is Abbott's political strategy with all of this? You know, he's been writing a lot of threatening letters lately. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the governor doesn't really have that much power in Texas, and he follows a guy who was in office for so long. Not just this governor, but any governor. Right. And, you know, constitutionally, it's a weak governor state. You have the power of the veto at the end of every session, so you've got one month of... Yeah, you have... Some pulpits have more bullies behind them than others. (laughs) Right. You have the bully pulpit, which is basically persuasion, which Abbott is testing with these letters and things like that, and you've got appointments. And, you know, on the Racing Commission thing, Abbott is using appointment... He replaced three members, replaced two members and reappointed one, and we'll see whether and how that changes the vote and presumably whether and how Abbott put his thumb on a scale with the Racing Commission. In the case of the Lottery Commission, he's already appointed the Lottery Commissioner, so he he can't fire him. He doesn't have that power. So he can just say, you know, this basically. This is what I sent you here to do. Some version of pretty please. And, but this and, gets to a larger question, which I know you've weighed in on on the site in columns, and Emily I know is interested in, as am I, and that is who's really the governor of Texas right now? Well, Abbott's the governor. Yeah, but who's really the governor? Well, the Texas juice right? in the Constitution is, you know, with the legislature, with the lieutenant governor and the speaker. And, you know, traditionally in Texas, historically, in modern Texas, you know, the standard line is the lieutenant governor is the most powerful position in Texas. Except when David Dewhurst was in that office. Mm. Well, except there when— There was not a single day when David Dewhurst was lieutenant governor that he was the most powerful person in Texas. Not a but, single day. Well, I don't blame Dewhurst for that. I think that has more to do with Rick Perry being in the middle office and accumulating power with appointments and with his tenure 
and the fact that his appointees were hiring his former He's, employees right. to be executive so directors. So he can throw his weight around in a way that Abbott can't yet? I, Abbott hadn't yeah. been there long enough. Abbott He's, may turn out to be just as powerful hold, a governor hold, as Perry was. Hold, hold on. Dan Patrick hasn't been in his job any longer than Greg Abbott's been in his. Is Dan Patrick more powerful as lieutenant governor today than David Dewhurst was at any point in his 14 years or 12 years? Well, and on that note, I mean, Ross, you wrote in one of your columns that Dan Patrick was acting like, more like a governor than Greg Abbott Always was. ask a question that you know the answer to. That's why I'm asking. Do <laughs> yeah. you think Dan Patrick is well, more I think powerful that, than his predecessor? I do, but I also think Greg Abbott is weaker than his predecessor. I don't. I don't. I think those two things Thank are related. You for not making me ask the question. Well, you it's not. But he, it's not. I wouldn't yeah. put all of this on David Dewhurst. I would say that Rick Perry sure. accumulated power, and I don't think it would have mattered who the lieutenant governor was. That's that. This is a great conversation. Right. This is exactly the conversation we should be having about the balance of power right now in Texas. You have a lieutenant governor who is more powerful than his predecessor. You have a governor who is less powerful. You may say. You did say that one of the reasons that this governor is less powerful is he's only been in office for X number of months. Well, at least you read my columns. I do. <laughs> but does that mean that Dan Patrick is more powerful than David Dewhurst was because of who he has in the governor's office or because Dan Patrick stylistically and politically is different? I would say both right? of those things. Mm -hmm. I, you know. And this isn't over yet. I mean, you know, we're in the middle of the arm wrestle. Um, well, it, actually, it just hadn't been an arm wrestle at all for so long. And, and, and we have a relatively powerful speaker. He's been in power for four sessions now, I presume, unless something weird happens the in the, the longest, next elections, which is possible. He'll be the longest serving speaker. Right? He'll, he'll match the longest serving yeah, speakers. Yeah. He'll match which is you know, Gib Lewis and Pete Laney. Um, you, but you and I talked about this, and it was sort of in the realm of the column that you put published not long ago that at the Tribune Festival, when I sat down with Patrick, I had a whole plan to talk to him about X, Y, and Z to begin with. And when he sat down, the very first thing he said before mm -hmm. I got to ask a question was, by the way, I'm not running against Greg Abbott. Right. When he came out at the press conference after the session in June, before the press had an opportunity to ask any question or that question, he said, I'm not running against Greg Abbott. He really there likes to a, keep it in the conversation. The gentleman doth protest too much comes right. to mind. Why are we and, talking about this? Right. right. And <laughs> right. so this is my point. You have a lieutenant governor who's more powerful than, than, than his predecessor. You have a governor who is, at least for the moment, weaker than his predecessor. You arguably have a lieutenant governor who is driving the conversation statewide about issues and politics more than the governor is. A lot of times— No wonder Dan Patrick feels like he has to say, I'm not running for governor, because by all other indications, you think he would be. Well, he often has the press release out before Abbott does, you know, on major breaking news. I mean, right. they are, like, have their finger on the trigger— but, I mean, do we believe that he's not running in 2018 for, for governor? He, he was not running for lieutenant governor against David Duke. Yeah, right. This Apparently is the same guy who wasn't Jane running Nelson for lieutenant governor. I'm going to come out and say I don't think he's running. And the reason I don't think he's running is Abbott's going to have a ton of money. Right. And it will be very hard to turn Abbott into Wendy Davis. Plus, why give up all that power? I was going to say, like, it, you know, maybe <laughs> he's just figured out. Plus, that who can, wants that job? Right. This can, is the know. Bob Bullock revelation. He looked up one day and said, hey, I don't want to cut ribbons. Yeah. I mean, can he control this giant chunk of the state agenda without changing titles? It seems like it. So maybe it's the best place for him to be. Were yep. they Were they out in Lubbock? You were, Patrick, you were out in Lubbock this past weekend for some kind of... Yeah, what the Texas, hell, Patrick? Texas Federation, <laughs> of, Texas Republican Federation of Republican yeah. Women. Yes, they're right. all the women. Did you go to the Buddy Holly Museum? Did not. Next time? Went to a radio station, a must, A must-do. Shout well, out you, to would you Jay Leeson. Did you see Chad Hasty? Yeah. Is that what you went No, it was Jay Leeson. Okay. <laughs> anyway, were all these guys out there? All the other state officials? Uh, oh, course. yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so yeah. Patrick was there. Abbott was Dan also Patrick, there. Dan Patrick, Abbott. you see all the pictures of everybody yeah. flying back on Southwest <laughs> together? I was trying out. to have a weekend. <laughs> Strauss is on my yeah. flight out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. They were all there. George P. Bush. Everybody was there. I mean, um, did you see any of this, any kind of like tug of war? Or does everybody seem, you know, perfectly aligned at the top of the 
at the top of the legislature. Nothing to see. No, here. I, mean, I don't think you know at this this one convention in Lubbock there was any two you know deep political consequences on display. But um, yeah, I mean you're definitely picking up on as you pointed out the balance of power here. I mean, did I, anybody mention the 2018 governor's race one time nope, while you were all. there? Yeah. Not a word. Not right. at all. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of with Evan on this one. I don't think he's he's going to run, I'm but I think have a hundred bazillion dollars. And also, he like does. he can't get right. to. The, I think right now Abbott's pretty protected on the right. I mean, you have you know a few state reps and a few activists calling for special sessions on these issues, and he says no, and that's you know, and they're like, okay, fine. Uh, I mean, I just think he's. I think Abbott right would now. have to drop out or make a terrible, terrible mistake for Patrick to seriously consider it. And and, and I really do think like you know right now. why you know why give up the power? Yeah. I mean, he's turning the lieutenant governor's office back into what it was, you know. Right. And Ab- Abbott has a tendency in his history to caution. He may not like that characterization, but the reality is Abbott has tended to be a more cautious rather than less cautious guy. A cautious guy by disposition is not going to make an unforced error that hands Dan Patrick or anybody else an opportunity to undo his desire to be reelected. What do you think Abbott thinks about the way that Patrick behaves I mean, do you think that... No idea. I mean, you know, all you can tell is, you know, the races for press releases. <laughs> right. It, it <laughs> right? is a race for press well, releases. Well, you've got a race between the, you know, the. well, we're talking about those, between the governor and the attorney general, the former I mean, attorney general and the attorney general. That one's more fascinating, you know. Like, anytime... Who gets to announce the Fifth Circuit first, right? Yeah, right, exactly. And, you know, Abbott jumps out ahead on a lot of these things, although Abbott is frequently, you know, beaten by Patrick. <laughs> I mean, it's like you watch the, who's got the fastest media relations department? Who gets the first quote out on these big, you know, major national stories. It's pretty fascinating. It's never just Strauss. Most (laughs) Texans pay no attention to these people. And part of the deal with statewide elected officials now and forever in the past has been jumping up and down trying to get attention. And they're all trying to do that. So there's, you know, part of this is not necessarily this one versus that one. It's just everybody, you know, jumping up and down trying to get voters to pay just a smidgen of attention to them. Right. Um, well, we have a couple minutes left. Evan, would you just give us a quick update on the uh, former A&M president who's nah. now finding himself in a little bit of hot D- don't water? Ask I see me you're to wearing a bow tie today. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, 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 Bowen Lofton, who left uh, uh, College Station uh, and his job as the president of A&M a year ago. Something it like wasn't that. that long ago. With, I mean, with a big sack of money, right? Yeah. Um, nice severance. Uh, left and uh, became the chancellor of. Uh, the University of Missouri, which I think is a, it's a flipped, it's a flipped title. It's so not right. really. A, I mean, it's not chancellor in the way that John Sharp is chancellor of A and M. He's right? he was basically in the same position at Missouri that he was in at A and M. Right, but he had a different right. title. Right, and he was a, a a casualty of the protests that took down the president of University of Missouri. Basically, leadership was the casualty in a broad sense. Leadership was the casualty of this series of protests that culminated with the football team, or much of the football team, basically saying, we're not going to take the field again unless the administration leaves. It was really said, I thought that the president was the target of their protest because they believed he had reacted insensitively to a longstanding history of complaints that people on campus were not treated. Were not reacted at all. Race was a dividing line and that uh, black students and non-Anglo students, maybe more broadly, were not treated uh, with the same, uh, uh, fairly or treated with the same uh, respect. Uh, that there were uh, allegations of racism or uh, incidents that were racially motivated that occurred and that the administration kind of poo-pooed it. Mm-hmm. So the president resigned, but then all of a sudden we got this idea that somehow Bowen Lofton was going to be a casualty of this as well. I frankly had not been paying attention enough to the Missouri He's story been in trouble. To have heard that he was part of the 
of the deal. So Bowen Lofton, among other things, is probably in possession of now two severance checks going forward. Well, he got another job within, within the, the same be, year. He, he, in fact, it's a little bit similar to the first part of the A&M exit. He got another job at the school. He's going to be you know, teaching this or teaching that or stuffed in this department over here. That's you know. just so weird. I mean, you know, they, they they got rid of him because they were mad about his insensitivity. To, so now suddenly everything's fine? They're going to say, okay, well, we don't like him as chancellor, but we're perfectly fine with him as professor? I mean, a lot of this is symbolic, right? It's right. like, you know, you call for people's heads, and it shows that the university is serious about right. it. They called for his mustache, and they basically <laughs> got his mustache. All right. Well, uh, if you would like to uh, provide any I questions got, no, or I got comments nothing for the mustache on our facial hair, uh, you can email us at tribcast at texastribune.org. You can also sign up for Tribcast Alerts at texastribune.org. Nobody has slash facial tribcast. hair in here, except for Todd. Todd. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Ross, Patrick, and our bearded producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. I'm not exactly George Clooney myself.